Tonight's message is uh, hopefully it's going to be very encouraging to you. Uh, it's I want to share some wisdom through scriptures because I think we'd all agree that when we get counsel from close friends, it's comforting. We're much more comforting than if we were to get counsel from a stranger, a good word from a stranger. Um, so tonight, I'd like to talk about what makes a good friend. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, "A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in a time of need." Now, one of the things that I love encouraging words, and as I came in uh, here tonight, I got a little bit of an encouragement, and, I, and you can either thank him or, um, I'm not sure, but he, he inspired me to, uh, <laughs> to tell a Mark in the back as he greets everybody and says, hey, you know, welcome to church, and he, he says, man, I really liked uh, last week when you told your testimony and those type of things, and I like the story. Are you going to share a story tonight? And I said, well, I didn't really have one planned. I mean, I kind of do, but um, it's one of those things as we're doing worship here and, and before we met, and I don't have this in my notes, but, but um, the ladies doing worship here, Kat and Rebecca, well, we go way back. And it kind of goes along with my, my uh, uh, sermon here in that, uh, you know, friends and doing ministry together and those type of things. I remember way back when uh, I was in children's ministry, me and Kat would be there and, and the, you know, they do the same song, um, Jesus, uh, Kat would be barefoot stomping on the floor and, <laughs> and or, or what, uh, and during the school of ministry, we would go and, uh, or at least the last round anyways, we would go to a mission trip and Rebecca would be the first time going there and she's a little bit uh, afraid of uh, going. And, and the, the story I'll tell, and he, once again, you can blame Mark because it's not my notes, but it's one of those things that's part of the, uh, part of the, the ministry that takes place. Our, 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 our ministry down there, the mission trip, was to help out an orphanage down there, Kalina Deleuze, and there's a church down there where we support with um, their, their VBS, and then there's other uh, on the beach. There, um, we do mission, uh, you know, evangelizing type of thing where we tell people about Jesus, and, and uh, it's a really, really good time. And I, I think, uh, if I remember right, Kat promised the next time we go, she's going to eat one of those eyeball tacos down in the Rosarito. Uh, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I know, not yet, not yet. But Anthony, uh, Anthony's story here has encouraged me to, uh, once again, not in my notes, so, uh, but encouraged me to, let's do another uh, school of ministry where we go through, anyways, well, maybe perhaps peripheral, we do that. But uh, on that last mission trip is where, uh, you know, I'm sitting there listening to this and being prompted by the Holy Spirit to share a story. Not in my notes, not prepared. So, But it was one of those uh, moments that Rebecca was there. And uh, it's a, you know, seven-hour trip to the border on the, on the bus. And we got a bunch of people on the bus. And it was multiple stops. And it's, you know, it's fun. There's a lot of fellowship going on. And we get to the border. And I'm tired. It's, 
probably 11 o'clock at night. And uh, now when you're driving a bus, you have to pull to the far right. You can't just go through the center lanes. You have to go to the far right. And, and um, what takes place is, because I'm the bus driver, I'm a professional, I have everything lined up. I know how many passengers are on the bus and where I'm going and all the different details. And so um, the federales over there, they're different from the, the other ones. These ones are serious. And uh, she gets everybody get off the bus right now, get your stuff, get your passport in hand, and uh, get in line type of thing. And, and then she comes to me and says, uh, how many people do you have on the bus? And I said, um, I, I, think, I think I have, uh, let me see, one, two, three... Um, not a good answer. Not a good answer at all. It was really bad. 14. We got 14 on the bus. And where are you going? I said, oh, um, we're, we're going to, uh, let's see, where are we going to like Rosarito and, and uh, where's the other one? And La Gloria and, and a couple other cities. And I didn't have the answers. And oh yeah, um, the Tijuana, that one, that one's, we're going to the church down there. And, and she's like, she's shaking her head. This guy's, this guy's not very bright. I've been driving for seven hours and I'm I know I'm supposed to know these things, but I forget. And then uh, there's another answer that I'm supposed to know and I didn't. And it was, it was, even, it was probably the, the even dumber, not dumber, but it was, you know, maybe spirit led. She goes, and what are you, what's your uh, business here? And I said, we're here to preach Jesus. Hmm. What I'm supposed to say is we're here for religious activities. That's the professional term you're supposed to use. And for me to say preach Jesus, now that's like a red flag and you got to pull me aside. And she's like, oh, this guy's really dumb. And she writes that down. He's dumb. I don't know if she writes down. But anyways, um, what was funny is that she says, uh, she's writing, he's going to preach Jesus. And she says, I used to go to church. Well, I know why you don't go to church. Really? And she looks up at me. You know why I don't? Yeah, it's because it's your sin. And she looks, my sin? Yeah. But good news, good news. God loves you so much that he, he died for you. He wants you to get back in a relationship with him. He wants you to go back to church and read the Bible and get into, the, into those things. And, you know, I spend maybe 30 seconds talking to her a little bit. And, and I say, can I pray for you? And she's like, she's, you know... I lay my hand on her shoulder and I pray with her. And, and then what's supposed to take place after those questions of where you're going, how many people do you have on the bus and what's your business? She's supposed to give me this card. I put it on the bus and I go through like an x-ray machine. That didn't happen. What happened was she was a little emotional. She went inside and, and the, the, the big guy comes out, the, the boss, because her federal agent is crying. What are you doing here? Um, we're on a mission trip. We're religious activities. How many people do you have on the bus? We have 14. And where are you going? We're going to La Gloria, Tijuana. <laughs> and I knew the answers then. But uh, anyways, it was a, uh, that's, that was the start of our mission trip. And there a lot of people gave their life to the Lord at that time. But uh, good stuff. Kind of, and as I told you last week, one of the things I do for the high school is I have them uh, share a scripture and how it relates to their life, a testimony, those type of things. Kind of what I did last week. And uh, oftentimes when they share their scripture or testimony, it lines up with what I'm going to teach that night. 
And when it happens once or twice, that's kind of a coincidence. But when it happens most of the time, 90% of the time, um, and I could, the scriptures they use, they're in my lesson plan. I show them, hey, I'm going to teach on this. Anyways, really cool stuff. Kind of, and I come to a point where I almost expect it that they're, whatever they're going to share, their little devotion is going to be what I'm going to be teaching on. So likewise, tonight as um, Kat and Rebecca are doing worship, and we had a brief conversation beforehand to say, we're going to do ministry again. I'm like, yes, yes we are. Because it's one of those things, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and her brother is born to help in a time of need. So a good friend will make time for you, especially when you are in need of help. But couldn't it be said that not so good friends will also make time for you? And couldn't it be said that the ungodly friends can also be loyal? True. And there may even be some here that are lacking friends. And I have some good news for you. There's ways to make friends. And that would be difficult to generalize every single instance. But I told you in the very beginning I did children's ministry. So I know how to make friends. You run really fast, head towards somebody, you tag them and say, you're it. And that's it. Then you become friends. It's really simple. That's until you get into high school, which then it's more complicated. Are you wearing the right shoes? Good. The jacket? Are you wearing everything correctly? And what music do you listen to? And what? And all that. Well, as you get older, it's even more challenging because it's, um, does someone who drives a Fiat 500 uh, make friends with someone who's driving an F-250 diesel supercharger or whatever? Uh, so it's more difficult, more complicated. But um, there's a simple answer, and it's in Philippians 2.3. If you want to make friends, do this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and thinking of others as even better than yourselves. Be friendly. Treat others like they're important. And be quick to forgive. Some friends are good, and maybe others not so much. Proverbs says how we are to determine good friends versus the others. 10.32 says this, the lips of godly, the lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. I am convinced that God divinely orchestrates putting Christian brothers and sisters together for a reason. Proverbs 27.17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend's, so a friend <laughs> sharpens a friend. There is a simple, practical, and biblical model for identifying uh, friends. Let's look at the tabernacle as a reference. You know, the one with the big tent that Moses would take through the wilderness. There, the Ark of the Covenant is kept behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And the priests would serve on there on the inside there, keeping the candles lit, the bread fresh, and they'd be praying at the altar. On the outside of the tent, there were sacrifices in the outer courts and big uh, wash basin and, and place of fire. So looking at a temple, looking at the tabernacle, I should say, uh, it, it's interesting to classify, in a sense, 
our friends. Well, like, for example, those on the outside of the walls. You see, only the people allowed on the inside of the walls who are going to offer sacrifices and they're on the outer courts, on the inside of the walls of the, of the temple or the tabernacle there, only Jews would be allowed on the inside. Those on the outside, um, well, those are not Jews. And so how does it relate to us? Well, you see, in a sense, those who are Christians would be on the inside of the walls. Well, can we have friends on the outside? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's important that we have friends on the outside. It's important and healthy to our faith to have friends who are on the outside of the walls. Because who are you going to evangelize to? Those who are already saved? No. Those who are not. Those who you need to invite to church. And oftentimes, the reason people come to church is because they are invited by a friend. I had a friend named Frank a while back who worked with me as a driver. And uh, I would daily talk to him about Jesus and the things of God, how much God loves him, invite him to church. And he, every single time, refused and said, no, it's not for me. That's not for me. Um, and jokingly, I mean, we had a great relationship. It was fun. He would mock, he would mock not, not Christianity himself. He would boast about his sinful behavior. Not in a perverse way, just casually uh, boasting about how much a sinner he is. And that if he actually decided to come to church, that the church would uh, spontaneously burn down because of how bad he is. That type of joking. Um, but in time, I found out that he was hurt by the church many years ago. And so there was also uh, a guy by the name of Victor there at the, uh, where I worked. And, and I mentioned them by name because they are the ones who, as I talk to them about Jesus, can I pray for you? Yes, they agree that I, pray, I can pray for them. So I'm opening them up to our church as well. We got, uh, let's pray for those. And um, by the end of this message, I'm going to encourage you guys to, uh, perhaps there's a friend who you shared the gospel with or a family member or someone you know that perhaps they haven't been to church in a while or they need, to come, they need some Jesus. Let's pray for them. But uh, the most important thing you can do as a friend, whether a Christian or not, is pray for one another. We need to be people of prayer, especially for those who God has put in our lives, and they're there for a reason. So getting back to Frank, we hadn't seen each other for years but uh, this time at the Kern County Fair, I saw him there uh, for, as like I said, it's been a year or so. And within a couple minutes of the conversation, uh, he was reflecting back on the good old times of driving there. And, and he said he, he remembered the many conversations we had about God and the many, um, argu not arguments, but just back and forth, evolution versus creation, those type of things. But one of the things he mentioned was, I, I really um, remember that the conversation we had when you told the, told the joke about the pearly gates. Oof. And uh, which was, you know, it's one of those things that out of all the conversations, and it's sometimes 
in a in a message or in a, in a sermon, when you hear someone tell a joke, it's one of the things you remember. Like, that was a funny joke. And what was the rest of it? I don't remember, but the joke was funny. Anyways, um, so he remembers this joke. And, and it was one of those things that um, one day we were standing around joking about different things. Both uh, Frank and Victor were were uh, talking about all kinds of silly stuff about how the boasting about their sinful behavior. And I said, that reminds me about a couple of bad guys hanging out and doing similar stuff. They ended up dying and instantly ended up in heaven at the pearly gates. There they meet St. Peter and Peter looks at them suspiciously and says, Frank and Victor, what are you doing here? And he looks at his list. Um, wait right here. I am going to go talk to the big guy, Jesus. Now, I should put a disclaimer on this. If you like your job, do not tell jokes like, like what I'm about to say. But it's, it has some, uh, some religious stuff. And, and they thought it was funny because of the, the nature of the joke. But um, uh, Frank and Victor, what are you doing here? And uh, he goes to Jesus and says, uh, Frank and Victor are at the, at the gates. What should I tell them? And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, haven't I been with you so long? Don't you know about forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, all that? Let them come in. All right, you're right, you're right. And Peter goes back to uh, the gates and sees a big, big problem a big problem they're gone so he goes back to jesus and says jesus big problem they're gone and jesus says of course they're gone the way we treated them no with the pearly gates they're gone they stole them so <laughs> frank remember <laughs> Frank remembers that joke, and he says, I remember that joke. That was really funny, and, and I, I'm not going to heaven. I said, oh, and they're, it's at the Kern County Fair. And I said, no, 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 good news, good news. You still have breath. You're still breathing, and you still have the opportunity to use that breath to ask for forgiveness. And so we had a great conversation there at the Kern County Fair because of that little joke that I told a year or two previous. But... Um, Getting back to our tabernacle model, we're in the inside of the walls, the outer court, and everyone there is a Christian, perhaps. They say they're Christians. I don't know, but these types of friends you'd be able to have some quality fellowship with, ones you can break bread with and pray with and share testimonies and encouraging scriptures. But there's also perhaps those costumes who say they're Christians and yet their walk is not as it should be. They're in the inner walls, yet first uh, John nine two uh, first John chapter two verse nine through eleven says, If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light. And does not cause another to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go to heaven. Having been blinded by darkness. So John cautions us on Christians who say they're Christians but behave 
a little different. So we're to judge by their fruit. Well, here very clearly, even Paul would go on to say to the church there in Corinth, um, those guys who were not behaving the way they should, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, Paul says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, and you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from fellowship. And 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. There are those who are on the inside of the tabernacle. So inside the uh, walls, on the outer court, fellowship, breaking bread, good stuff. But then there's those who are a little deeper, a little closer. How many would be close Christian friends on the inside? I don't know. Um, maybe just one, two or three, four. I don't know. Um, a spouse would be in there. Your husband or a wife, absolutely. Uh, close friends who you can trust uh, with personal stuff. Prayer warriors. Hey, I'm going through a problem. Can you pray for me? Text them. Um, those type of things inside the tabernacle where the showbread is at, the altar is at, this intimate fellowship that you can share on a more personal level. And there's one more identifying category, and it's behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. John chapter 15 talks about this uh, friendship. It was John chapter 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. And if you do what I want or what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, it's Jesus. That is a great friend. And so as we talk about some of these friendships throughout the Bible, I would, um, I'm looking at the time to see, make sure I'm not going over. Um, I want to get into some of these things because I hope that you can, uh, as we're talking about things, I hope that you can relate to your own friends. That uh, Do I have friends that are encouraging me? Or do I have friends that are, discouraging me or dragging me or whatever. I hope that God has placed in your life someone who is close and you can um, sharpen each other in, in scriptural things and biblical things and in your walk with God. One of the examples I want to give is Job. He had some friends. Mm. It's the first example. His wife, his best friend, says Job 2... 9 through 10, and his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. 
Then Job had a lengthy counsel from his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And I won't going to get into that, but if you guys know the story, it wasn't good. It wasn't good counsel from his friends. It was uh, quite discouraging. Um, as a matter of fact, in verse 16, verse 2, it says, I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. You don't have good counsel at all. With friends like this, who needs enemies? And I said, the most important thing you can do as a friend, even friends who are not so, yeah, friends that are on the outside of the walls, on the inside of the walls, who are, pray for them. We need to be praying Christians, one, one another. Um, so God's speaking to these friends who gave poor counsel to Job. In Job 42, 8 says this, Take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Ah, that's some great encouragement for you and for me. We need to be praying for our friends. Those who God has put in our life for whatever reason, um, encourage us in our faith or to maybe knock off a couple of those uh, areas in our life that are we need to uh, be more God-like. But there's a couple more friends I want to talk about. I want to talk about in the book of Acts, um, starting with a guy from the tribe of Levi. His name is Joseph, born on the island of Cyprus. Some trivia, trivia perhaps. Joseph from the tribe of Levi. He sells in chapter 4, he sells some land and gives the money to the church. His nickname is the son of encouragement. Anybody know? Whoa, students of the scripture here. Barnabas, right. You know, Luke translates um, Barnabas and he says it's the son of encouragement. The our Greek transliteration of the Hebrew is Barnabi, <laughs> which is son of a prophet. Close enough. Um, so we'll start tonight talking about Barnabas uh, in chapter 11. But previous to Acts chapter 11, Peter had just got back from his first missionary trip, if you recall, to the house of Cornelius. And you students of Scripture know the story. Uh, God told Peter to go to Cornelius. He said, no, he's a sinner or he's a Gentile. Uh, there's a sheet came down. He says, rise, rise, eat and kill. What I've made clean is uh, clean. And so Peter went there. And the whole house of Cornelius got saved. Good stuff. When Peter returns from that missionary trip back to Jerusalem, there was a great objection from these believers, the friends, the Peter, James, John, Barnabas, perhaps. Peter explained it was a good thing. The sheep came down, unclean animals. God said, eat. And he told me to go to the Gentiles. So he went. Acts eleven eighteen 18 says, 
When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Others, when the others heard, so we got James, John, Barnabas, perhaps. It doesn't say Barnabas. It doesn't say anything. It just says the others. But I can imagine Barnabas was there hearing this because in the following verse, 19 through, I don't know, 30 maybe, uh, says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Peter's missionary trip to Cornelius' house was in preparation for another missionary trip to Antioch, but it's not by Peter. Verse 22, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They sent the encourager. It doesn't say that Barnabas was there, but I can only imagine that, that he was part of the group that said, Peter, why did you go to the Gentiles? And now he himself is going. So what a cool uh, passage that is. In verse 23, it says, When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. And then verse 25 says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why would he do that? Why would he look for Saul? I find it interesting that uh, Barnabas would take a break from the ministry there in uh, that city, Antioch, and go find his former friend, Saul, and give him some encouraging words. And so as I said, as we're in the very beginning, we talked about some ministry we did in the past. It kind of reminds me of this, uh, that uh, Barnabas and Saul did some ministry in the past. How long ago? Let's get into that. Because if you've studied the book of Acts, you know that it was Saul who caused these Christians to scatter from verse 19. Saul was also the one leading the persecution to put Stephen to death. After Saul, the Jewish Pharisee finished his Christian persecution in Jerusalem. He set out for the next town. Saul, persecuting Christians. In Jerusalem, set up for the next town in Damascus. And on the way he met Jesus, a light shone brightly. And Jesus asked Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And at that moment he uh, goes blind. He goes to Damascus and there he meets a Christian named Ananias. So Ananias, in Acts chapter 9 verse 17, went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul... 
The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, like something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now Saul had new friends. He had enemies, and now he has new friends. Because Ananias was encouraged to get out of his comfort zone. Way out of his comfort zone. And go talk to the bad guy named Saul, who was killing Christians, persecuting them. Ananias, go talk to that man. I try to put myself in Ananias' shoes. Would I be so bold to go talk to someone who's killing Christians and putting them in jail and beating them up and doing all kinds of things? Would you? It's bold. But because of his faithfulness and obedience, we get blessed and we get to hear some of these things that Paul did. And so in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, Immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night in the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot during the and so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him down in a large basket through the opening in the city wall. How long did it take Saul to begin preaching Jesus and have death threats on him? A week or two or less? I don't know. It doesn't say, but it wasn't very long. Brand new baby Christian preaching Jesus and they threaten his life. We get some more details of the timing of these events as we uh, put together a chronological order through Galatians. Because in Galatians, he talks about uh, an event that where he says after these guys tried to kill him in Damascus in Galatians 1.17 it says nor did I go up to Jerusalem to count, consult with those who were apostles before I was instead I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus then Three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. So as they put this together, Saul, or Paul, as we journey through the, the Testament, we get a, a, a picture of friendships. And this is kind of the point I was making of this, uh, putting this together, is these are meaningful friendships. Friendships that are perhaps inside the, the tabernacle where they can pray together and they can do fellowship together and they can do ministry together. And as we continue, um, maybe there's a name 
or two or three that you are thinking of as we go through this. Perhaps there's someone in your life that, uh, as I said before, needs Jesus. Uh, Write that name down. We want to pray for them. Acts 9.26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. So it's been three years since Paul left Jerusalem. Now he comes back. Peter, James, John, those guys were afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. 27, then Barnabas, the encourager, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. And how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. But it didn't take long there in Jerusalem for Saul to find some more unfriendly Jews. And debated with them. And once again have his life threatened. In Acts chapter 9 verse 30 it says when the believers, the Christian brothers heard about this. They took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So back in the book of Galatians, we pick up another chronological order of what took place. It was a lengthy period of time between this moment. It was three years in Damascus, back in Jerusalem, and then Galatians 2.1 says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. So Paul went 14 years without doing ministry, put on a shelf. But if we understand it correctly, if I understand it correctly, it was actually 13 years. Because we read and piece together in the chronological order that we're going to do these events, Barnabas reached out to him. He hadn't seen him for quite some time. So as I encourage you to write a name down, maybe it's been a year or two or 13 or 14 years. We begin back or we go back to where we left off in Acts chapter 11 because then Barnabas went on to Tarsus. He left Antioch. He went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, his old friend. 14 years later? 13 years later. Because he spent a year in Antioch. Verse 26 continues. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. I'll skip forward a little bit just for time. As we continue through Paul's life, we see Barnabas and Paul being used by God and other friends joined along the way. And we continue to go through the life of Paul and and, uh, the ministry that takes place, uh, how God used him in a mighty way. And as I begin tonight with the example of the tabernacle, um, there are friends in Paul's life that God places them for a reason, places the people in Paul's life for a reason. The one to first pray for him. It was a, call him a friend, someone very close. Hey, you're a sinner, but now you're saved. Um, 
and Barnabas, the encourager, who sent him off to Tarsus for a season and then brought him back. Why did Paul stay in Tarsus for 13 years? Well, because every time he preaches Jesus, they want to kill him. Perhaps I'd do the same. I don't know. Uh, but either way, God had a plan and a reason for that to happen. Ananias, the brave one who would be courageous enough to, to follow God's leading and seek out Saul and pray with him and baptize him, encourage him and teach him. As a friend, Ananias would be one of those close Christian friends who would be symbolic of someone who's definitely on the inside of the tabernacle, really praying for him, laying hands on him, those type of things. So as we go through these passages, for those here and those online, as we see ourselves in our own chapters, in our own lives, friendships change. We may go from chapter to chapter um, friends, perhaps on the outside, are now on the inside. Timothy would be another great example of that. Timothy, who was on the outside of these walls. Paul would preach to him before you know what they were doing ministry together. Barnabas, the encourager. Definitely someone who was uh, on the inside And then his son, or I'm sorry, uh, his cousin, Mark. Well, that was uh, in, a little contentious in the beginning, but it ended up being a very close uh, friendship towards the end of his life. But what about Peter, James, and John in regards to Paul? Perhaps they were close. I, it doesn't say, but we do know that he, uh, the relationships he did have uh, were close. They could break bread. They could have fellowship, praying together, no doubt. But um, prayer is important. Prayer brings people together, Christians together. And before we get into our third example of friendship, I would like to suggest to you some things to pray for. As I, if I'm, we're talking about prayer then it's important to, um, to have a, maybe a list of friends to pray for. To pray for others. You see, because we can pray for our needs and we can pray for ourselves. And, and it's important, and we need to. We need to pray, God, provide for my needs or help me, I'm sick or whatever it is. Um, but as we begin to pray for others, we begin to engage in spiritual warfare. And so let me encourage you uh, to go through the week and pray for certain people. And I'll give you a list. Monday. Monday we pray for, it begins with M, therefore another word to pray for is ministry. So on Monday, I would encourage you to pray for those friends here at the church who are engaged in ministry. And why that is, is because when, when someone opens up their life to serve in such a way, well, there's spiritual warfare that takes place, if you weren't aware. Like, for example, Vanessa, who's serving in the children's ministry. Brand new, newly, newlywed, hanging out with Shane. Um, she's fighting cancer. Pray for her. It's faithful to serve. Blessing those kids, your kids. Um, 
Pray for Jason, who's got a whole house full of kids, and occasionally they get sick, or his wife gets sick, a um, whole house full, and uh, pray for him. He's got a lot going on. As even now he's uh, in Israel not feeling well. Pray for our senior pastor who battles with health issues uh, seemingly regular. Not that he's old, but okay, maybe he's a little old. <laughs> um, pray, <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting old too. Um, be prayerful. On Tuesday, uh, on Tuesday, pray for togetherness. Tuesday, a tea thing. Pray for togetherness. That means praying for friendships. It means praying for forgiveness. Because friends, sometimes we offend one another. Pray for mercy. Praying for the body of Christ that we'd be unified. Tuesday is a good day to pray for that. Wednesday, oh, pray for the things of this world. Today's Wednesday. Pray. There's a lot of things going on in this world that people are challenged. There's a big earthquake over there and lots of lives are impacted. I pray that God would um, bring comfort to those people who are challenged in such a way that they've lost loved ones and things like that. But even more importantly, pray that uh, God would send uh, people who believe in Jesus over there to give them the gospel. And even more tragic, that war in Ukraine, even more lives are lost and it seems uh, pointless but uh, thousands of lives are being lost over there. Pray that once again that uh, somehow God would be able to uh, work in a way that people would give their lives to the Lord. Thursday, oh, pray for thankfulness. Thursday, thankfulness. Give thanks to God for the, all that he has done. We truly have an amazing God who looks after each and every one of us and is faithful to provide to guide, to bless. Oh, he blesses us abundantly more than we can ask and know. He is an amazing God. Thursday is a great day to pray for thankfulness. Friday, oh, families. I don't know of any families that are perfect. Maybe there are. Uh, but family needs prayer. If you know families, uh, Pray for families. Some families are struggling financially, some spiritually, some physically. Perhaps all three or more. These friends at the church, pray for them. Saturday, pray for supplications, for supplies. God knows what we need, but his desire is that we communicate these things to him. So pray for our needs and those needs of those who you know. Oh, Sunday is also a great day to pray. Pray for church, pray for church services. Pray that God would be glorified and, and the message is given. Pray that God would be glorified as the message is received and that lives would be changed, that God would be used, the church would grow, the church would be healthy, the church would be in a, such a way that it would be used in the community, it would be a light into this dark world. Oh, Sunday is a great day to pray too. But as I close, the last example I want to give to you as we uh, talking about friendships through uh, the tabernacle, the most important one is Jesus. In the Holy of Holies, 
You see, the other friendships are important, but as you spend time with Jesus, we call it in high school, we call it jam time. That's Jesus and me time, where you go out just with a Bible, pen, paper, and you spend time alone with God. You get Jesus and me. Oh, so important for you to have a healthy relationship in all your, your relationships. See, Christianity is, in a sense, relational. Uh, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then what do you have? Uh, I like when, uh, and I'm coming close to the time, but after Jesus dies, three days later, he comes back. He tells the boys, uh, go out and uh, wait for me. And Peter says, Nah, I'm going to go fishing instead. We're going to go and catch some fish. And they catch, they catch no fish. You know the story. Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. They, no, I'm not going to sing it. But <laughs> um, Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. They come on the shore. Uh, Jesus has breakfast waiting for them. And 21.15, John 21.15 says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. The real question is, Jesus, do you love me? Do you agape me? Love me unconditionally? Agape love? Peter responds, you know I love you as a brother. <laughs> In the midst of that, there's some neat restoration that takes place. Forgiveness takes place. Peter gets restored. But Peter would go on to use that little example in his message to uh, his friends. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he's writing a, a, some encouragement. Peter's last epistle, last letter to those who he loves. He gives this. I, I'll go through all of it just because it's important. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness and brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brotherly affection, phileo, brotherly love. Add to that agape love. So Peter, having that fellowship with Jesus, gets to understand what Jesus is telling him. It's the agape love that we need to have for one another. Unconditional love, yes. But we can't have that unless we have that uh, love with Jesus. So in closing, who has God put in your life that you need to pray for? There are those friends on the outside of the walls. Oh, they need prayer. They need Jesus. They need you to encourage them, to give them an encouraging word.
But I also pray that they wouldn't be encouraging you to step outside those walls. And then if they, if they are, if, they say, if they're dragging you away from a relationship with God, then I'd recommend changes. Pray about it. Then the, there are those friends who are Christian, who we fellowship and pray with and break bread, those who would be on the outer court. God has them there for a very important reason. What that reason is, God knows that we would sharpen each other, we'd build each other up, encourage one another. Don't forsake the fellowship of friends, Christian brothers and sisters. It may be that God would have them to be like a Barnabas. How do you know? How would you know if we're to have a friendship like that? How am I supposed to let somebody in and be close? Open up. Open up about some prayerful request. Open up about a prayer need that you have and see how they respond. See Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend is always loyal, and her brother is born to help in a time of need. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we praise you for your word and how you bring people to our lives and our testimonies are together, working together, that, that you would be glorified. We thank you for... Uh, friends who you put in our lives, both for good and those to grow us in our faith, those who can be more challenging. Um, but Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to learn from these, to grow from these. And more importantly, I pray that uh, we would have that close, intimate relationship with you, that you would be our best friend. I pray this for each and every one here. We Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.